Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Inking Out Loud podcast. I am your host, as usual, Rob Santos. I'm joined once again by my co-host, Mr. Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And returning special guest, once again, Mr. Jared Livingston. Hey, guys. So, for episode 22, we're going to be discussing Steelheart by Brandon Sanderson. It's the first novel in his uh, young adult trilogy, The Reckoners. And I, in in particular, really excited to talk about this one, because I've been, I mean, I've been waiting years to discuss this one in detail. Uh, I read it in 2013 when it first came out. I fell in love with it immediately. I was waiting for the releases, like, counting the days for those those final weeks, like, literally counting the days. Um... So yeah, like, like what? Like I want to get your guys' impression. Like, how do you feel uh, that Steelheart, or at least the Reckoners trilogy in general, kind of stacks up against the rest of Brandon Sanderson's writing? Uh, so Steelheart, I, I mean, it's an enjoyable book. It's definitely, uh, um, you know, a fun I'll read. Open my drink here. Go ahead. Yeah, um, it's not my favorite. Uh, I. I do think uh, I like the second book in the in the Reckoners a little more. Oh yeah, um, and I may even like calamity the third book more than steel really but but we'll get to that when we you know a couple weeks down the road here um because that's a more involved conversation but <laughs> uh i mean Steelheart's still a good book um it's nice to read a ya that i don't despise <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but then again a lot of those are, i assume are coming directly out of brandon sanderson eh not that. Most of them, yeah. I mean, there, I, that's just that... most of the the YAs that I enjoy are are, are his. Like, I I'm not I, I'm not a huge YA person in general. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's been the the subpar. I don't know. Publishing industry lately in that in that area. But I mean, I guess I really can't say lately too. I mean, like when I was in high school, I should say I was getting into fantasy at that point. Yeah. So I don't know. YA was a little immature to me at that yeah, point. Yeah, there was there was definitely uh, you know a YA boom with like you know a certain type of dystopian YA that uh, you know after the Hunger Games that we had so many you know the Maze Runner and Divergent and like you know, all these things that were essentially yeah. Hunger Games clones <laughs> and uh, just <clears throat> there was that wave of kind of mediocre or worse uh, YA trying to ride the coattails of something super super popular and there um, are there are cliche YA things in this book but i think brandon does it well for the most part yeah i agree yeah. with that um in general i think it's a well-done book i mean it i like it i i gave this like three and a half stars maybe four stars like you know it's a it's a solid book it's just not my favorite by brandon really see that's interesting to me because as a you know a diehard Brandon Sanderson fan, I will say this: Steelheart is in my top tier of Sanderson, like legit. Ooh. Like I whoa, love this book. I'll, I'll come straight out and say it. Like it, it kept me entertained so long through the entire thing. I mean, it, the book itself is. I mean, of course, as you know, compared to Sanderson's uh, usual body of work, it's still rather short. It's a YA book, Mm -hmm. but the amount of stuff, the amount of action he has packed into it, the amount of jokes that didn't fall flat for me, you know, I just, I, there was so much, (laughs) oh, hold on, we'll get there. There are some that do, (laughs) trust me. I am well aware of the fact that I'm very biased going into this. Like I said, like Steelheart is in my top tier Sanderson. So I, I, I'm going to have to try very, very hard not to be, uh, glowing too much about it. I'm going to have to try very hard to find some things to complain about. 
<laughs> Cody's on that list. Don't worry. We'll oh, get yeah, there. for sure. We'll get there. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, f I loved this book. I loved it. So, sorry, Jerry, go ahead. You were going to say something? Uh, no, I was going to say, I, I'm with Drew. I, I like this series as a whole very much, but Firefight and Calamity I probably like better. But that's not saying this one's bad. Yeah, like it's quite I, enjoyable. It doesn't have the scale, the spectacle that Stormlight has, but at the same time, it's. It, I just think it's just. It's maybe it's just because it's done so well for what it is. I mean, there there's so many things about this book that I think Brandon does perfectly. I mean, I don't know what kind of stride he hit when he started to write this one, but um, I mean, I just I just want to start talking about like his style. You guys ready to just yeah. dive right into the sure. meat, the, the meat and potatoes here? Okay. Yeah, so, I was gonna. I was going to ask you straight off. I was like, so you, I mean, you love this book so much. You have it in your top tier. Oh, what it is. What do you my... love about it? That, okay, so let's start. For, let's start with the opening line first off. Okay, now then this might sound a little outlandish or dramatic, whatever you want to call it, but I consider like this opening line to be one of the greatest opening lines I have ever read, ever. Like across any medium. Period. I've seen Steelheart bleed. Now let's unpack that fucking statement. Okay, I have because we have four words. I, I have, statement of identity, you know, establishing point of view, yada, yada. I've seen Steelheart bleed. With four words, Sanderson immediately made me ask four questions. I was asking, who are you? Who is Steelheart? Why was he bleeding? And why was it a big deal that he, in particular, was bleeding in the first place? Like, I, mm -hmm. Four questions with four fucking words. I mean, does a hook really get any more efficient than that? Yeah, I, I will agree with you there. The The opening line of Steelheart is masterful. Uh, the prologue in in yeah. general is very effective, but that opening line especially is just is a stroke of genius on Brandon's part. Yeah, for sure. It definitely hooks you. and Yeah, and I think the scene as a whole really grabs you for sure. Yeah, like the way he establishes that scene in the bank. You know, we get descriptions of the cubicle as this imitation of a comfortable home, just as the, the, the mortgage man wore an Im imitation of a smile, and he's surrounded by stock photos of smiling ethnic children. You know, it kind of instills this feeling of, like, sterility, this coldness. It, it makes me uncomfortable because it feels, like, stale and manufactured. But then we see uh, the immediate reason for this. You know, as, as the epic enters the bank that epic being death point of course we see a complete reversal we see raw humanity in action the juxtaposition i think is what makes that scene stand out so well and of course you have the line that ends it you know the two phrases that play off one another like bookends on this prologue i've seen steelheart bleed and i will see him bleed again it was perfect it's perfect mm -hmm. i just I, I really can't find a flaw anywhere in that prologue it was great sure yeah so Oh, I also, I, I do want to say I like how he clearly right away establishes the kind of rules of this magic system, if that's what you want to call it, even though it's, you know, <laughs> sci-fi. But it's it's so, like, classic Sanderson. It's balance. It's strengths, but limitations that define that strength. It's a puzzle mm -hmm. to figure out. Bravo. Bravo. It was, it, was, it was simple. He explained it really quickly. It was not a difficult concept to grasp. And then he took it and ran with it. So I think it was awesome. Yeah, the, the whole premise of the Reckoners trilogy is super cool. I, I mean, yeah. it's one of those situations where you, you go back to Sanderson's Laws of Magic and and the Zeroth Law, where he just says, Err on the side of awesome. <laughs> and uh, and you can tell he he invoked the Zeroth Law a lot writing these books. Oh, he, know, he definitely he, did. He took what is inherently an awesome idea, that being superheroes... And in his typical Sanderson fashion, 
put a, a really fun, clever twist on it, and used you know the, this this concept of superheroes and then turned evil to create like a really neat um, like plot points and you know setups, but b do what you need to do with superheroes, and that is have these big bombastic epic scenes because that's what superheroes are. They're larger than life. Yeah, he doesn't and, hold back. Yeah, and so when you have supervillains, <laughs> you know, then you, you got to get creative in, in how you make it cool, but also, like, you know, you got to have your good guys, you know, not be totally overpowered, yeah. right? You know, you, you have to find some way to balance it out, and and uh, and having, like, Prof and, and his technology, you know, there was, uh, was a really neat way to... To balance it. I mean, granted, the Reckoners group has two epics in their yeah, midst, yeah. so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, like, the premise is so simple and so <clears throat> elegant at the same time that I, I'll say, like, when when someone, you know, asks what I'm reading, they see me reading a book or an e-reader somewhere, or if I'm just having a discussion with somebody who with whom I have a lot in common, and I want to recommend to them a Sanderson book, I will usually recommend that, that they start with Steelheart, or, like, you know... One of his YA books, but usually Steelheart is at the top of my list because it's the, the elevator pitch for that works so perfectly. You could you could get that premise across in 30 seconds. You have this main character who who basically, for all intents and purposes, joins a supervillain hit squad, right? It's yeah. I mean it's 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 such a simple, like I said, yet elegant premise that it, it hooks people right away. And it's it's definitely the one that I go to when I recommend if I want to get somebody into Sanderson. Uh, I'll usually get them to test their foot, you know, dip their toe in the proverbial water with Steelheart because it's just it hooks you so fast, it brings you in so well. And uh, it's funny and it because it's funny because I would recommend Mistborn to somebody first. Really? But these both follow the style of this kind uh, of Ocean's Eleven crew running a job. Mm-hmm. Well, see, I started. I have the unique perspective, I guess, of somebody having actually gotten into Sanderson with Mistborn. That was my first Sanderson ever when I heard that yeah, he was same. finishing the Wheel of Time. It was it was Mistborn that I read first. And it was hard for me to grasp at first. Like the eight different medals that we knew at the time or you know what, I'm not gonna get into spoilers for that. I just realized I might have I might have just strolled right through that one. Uh, no. I'm not gonna get into the magic system so much. But I will say the magic system was difficult for me to grasp at first. Mistborn started off a little slow for me. And he almost lost me until like the halfway point, and sh- started to pick up. And then once I Whoa. saw how he, you know, pulled it off. I mean, I was just off to the races at that point. I was just inhaling, consuming everything Sanderson at that point. But no, I started with Mistborn, and I actually almost didn't get into it at the at first, at least. That's really interesting. It's, it's definitely a good one. I can see, I can understand people starting with it, but I just wouldn't call it like quintessential Sanderson. Yeah, no, yeah, like yeah. For, for me, you know, it's it's really a matter of are are we talking Cosmere or are we talking just you want to read his the style. Sanderson? You want like, them to get into like yeah. his kind of cheek, his tongue and cheek humor, his you know self aware, like it, he's got a very distinct style that I think he employs. Yeah, with, and uh, it's like if, if yeah. I'm recommending you know Brandon Sanderson to a friend, it it really does come down to it's like, do I think this person is the kind of person who's gonna want to read 35 40 books over the next 30 years like <laughs> and and if that's the case if if I know this is the kind of person who wants to get immersed in something huge and grand and complex that's when I'm going to say start with Mistborn but if it's somebody who just wants a fun read and they're like oh yeah I've heard Brandon Sanderson's good 
but I don't really have the time to read like a big old series. I'll be like, hey, yeah, check yeah. out Steelheart. Yeah, you're right. There you is know, a lot to be said about about knowing the person who with whom you're going to be recommending books to. If they're if they're the kind of person who's into you know epic fantasy already, yeah, definitely I'd be going mm-hmm. for Mistborn or even Stormlight if they're really into the big ones. But actually, then again, I would never recommend you start with Stormlight. No, never yeah, mind. No, no <laughs> I take that back. No. But, uh, you know, if it's somebody who's just, you know, a casual reader, I will, yeah, I will definitely tell them to, to get, jump right into to, to Steelheart. I mean, it's an easy, audible purchase, awesome, get it out of the way, especially if you have a, a credit. I mean, McLeod Andrews, he's, he's not as, as epic as some other audio voice, or audio voice, listen to me, audiobook narrator's voices are, but he's entertaining all the way through. His yeah. accents are spot on. I love his Abraham, by the way. We'll get into that later, that French-Canadian guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, as I, a, I was gonna ask you about him, like what your thoughts are as a Canadian. Yeah, yeah, as a Canadian who's 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 who grew up, you know, kind of immersed in in a lot of the French language and culture. It was it was it was kind of funny to hear somebody swearing essentially in French. At one point, Abraham says "colis," and I was like, "Ooh," you know, <laughs> I wasn't expecting which is, that. Which is kind of risque for a Brandon Sanders. <laughs> a know. little bit, especially for a YA of all things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I got some uh, some positive points about Abraham to discuss later. But hey, we want to start talking about our characters? Yeah, sure. sure. Let's talk about, obviously, our, our main character, David. What do you guys think of David? Um, overall, he's a likable character. Uh, I, I enjoy his dedication and his earnestness. Mm. Uh, he's, a, he's a refreshing character in that it's easy to root for him. Um, but I cannot just cannot stand the metaphors. <laughs> what? I hate it so much. What? You guys oh. are fu- you oh. have to be fucking kidding me. You t- Okay, hold It does not Just land. Fuck up. Hold it on. It does not land. You mean to tell me that you liked Cobb? <laughs> you liked Cobb, but you you didn't like David's yes. metaphors. Okay. All right. We're ending the podcast. Right. All right. Yes. I don't know what else to say. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's a wrap, folks. <laughs> I, I mean, I, okay. I guess that's just that goes to show. For, you know, everybody has their own distinct taste. I, I just gotta. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Some of it is like that. wow. Like like there there are a couple of metaphors like here and there that Cobb, of that course, I feel... being from Sanderson's Skyward. Sorry, I should, yeah. we should probably should have said something there. Yeah, go ahead. Um, sorry. But there there are a couple metaphors, similes here and there that. Uh, land for me but but most of all i just i roll my eyes i mean it see that's my reaction to cody for, for it's the like most oh part. oh cody's even worse i mean do not get me yeah. wrong on that and and this yeah. is you know we're talking about personal taste here and, and yeah uh, and and senses of humor and and we've talked in previous episodes covering sanderson about how um you know a lot of the time he's like he forces the humor yes. a little too much. He tries too sure, hard, sure. and yeah. and I feel like these the metaphors, David's metaphors, are a prime example of trying too hard. Well, it's first funny off, once or twice, but then it's like the tenth time you're just. Well, see, and that's that's the that's what I have written down here about that specific point. Okay, so I'll I'll, I'll discuss David real quick. My my general impressions of David and why I yeah. liked him so much. See, I consider him like such a winner of a main character. He's so inexplicably fun to read for some reason. His personality traits are, for the most part, all the things I normally hate in a character, or at least what makes me hate being inside of a character's head. You know, yes, he's, he's naive, he's immature, he's got a very distinct and static sense of humor. But for some reason, I loved every fucking minute of it. And I w- it wasn't actually until this read-through that I realized why it doesn't bother me. Because, I mean, I've read this shit at this book, I've probably read it 12 times, 15 times, could be upwards of 20 if you count, Jeez. like, 
portions on audiobook. I, I, I do a lot of welding, dude. I got lots of time to listen. Um, but the reason it, it doesn't bother me, I think, is just subtlety. I mean, it occurred to me in Chapter 8 on this reread, when we get David's simile about... And they're not... Yeah, I, I didn't notice until afterwards. I didn't realize this. Yeah, they're not actually metaphors. They're similes. Well, so some of them, some of them approach well, no, the territory, so, but so technically, similes are a subclass of metaphors. Okay, okay, but yet more accurately, they're similes. Yeah. Than like the fact that he calls them metaphors instead of similes does it, bug just me as well. Part of the joke, I think, it just highlights more of his arrogance. But anyway, uh, in, in chapter eight, we get David's <laughs> simile about Megan's eyes being frigid enough to liquid cool a high fire rate stationary gun barrel. And it occurred to me at that point that this was only the second one that we had gotten so far across eight chapters. And Mm -hmm. now call me crazy, but I get the impression that if Brandon wrote David like he wrote Lyft, for example, or Wayne, (laughs) we wouldn't be able to go three paragraphs in between. I mean, some chapters, we wouldn't be able to go three sentences in between, you know? We would have had about 30 at that point with like 95 to 150 more to come. So Mm -hmm. I think for me, it was subtlety. Of course, I did notice it started now that I was paying attention to that. It did kind of increase in frequency as Brandon got more comfortable, I guess, with his metaphors. But I do want to say, I just, there's something about those metaphors that almost work that I find endlessly hilarious. Because it's it's, it's very easy to just come up with a completely nonsensical metaphor. But he has this knack for finding this one that almost makes sense or just has that one unnecessary detail. I don't know. I I just, it struck. For me, I loved it every time. Not every I mean, time, but it was, most it of the was time. funny you you brought up that particular one because that's one of the few that I actually enjoyed because it hmm. it it serves as more than just being you know nominally funny. It's that it it actually helps build you know character in it. Yeah, it, it's it's pulling double duty and uh, and and I mean that's my favorite thing about these books is David's relationship with Megan. Mm. I think it's one of yes, you've actually Sanderson's about this previously, absolute yeah. best relationships. Uh, like just, just from the very beginning, and, and how they their like professional relationship develops as part of the team, and then David's increasing attraction, and how they like navigate mutual dislike but admiration, and and the way that it's very realistic. And progresses, and yeah, it, it's. It's very easy for a lot of like YA books to have cliche relationships between the lead characters, and it's very easy for those to feel fake. It, it, it manufactured, yeah, it, yeah. But it was like David and Megan in this book remind me very much of like like I could have seen a relationship like this. Obviously, not with the like contextual circumstances sure. of like you know a dystopian hellscape ruled by supervillains, but like uh, I could see a relationship like this progressing with like people I knew in high school. You know, it it felt yeah. real. It felt valid and earned, and uh, and and that they didn't just fall in love because it's a YA and you need somebody to fall in love. It's like no, they, you know. So it, that's that's my favorite part of David's character is the way he interacts with Megan specifically, but. To a wider extent, the way he interacts with the other people in the Reckoners, uh, Prof also stands out on that one. By the way, like with the like the way David interacts with Prof, or Prof interacts yes. with others. Uh, the way David interacts with Prof. Okay, because okay, yeah, yeah, I could I can see that. I think David's uh, highly relatable, especially for the target audience of this book. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, I mean, do think sometimes, like he's eighteen, right? 
Yeah. I think sometimes he acts younger than 18. So I don't know you how much younger? Yeah. Yeah. I don't okay. know how much that was on purpose by But Brandon. sometimes I I mean I'm 27 sometimes <laughs> I act younger than 18 still, you know. <laughs> also true. <laughs> That's why it resonates perhaps so much with me. Yeah, he's relatable, he has faults. Yeah. Uh he's got yeah. You know, uh I still mean I still love his sense like the his humor so much. Not in it's not just with you know the similes he's not just a one-trick pony he just has this kind of young but like fresh exciting and still naive outlook on life like for example when he sees the motorcycles in diamond's shop that may have been some of the hardest i've ever laughed reading a sanderson book when when he just when he goes into the description of these motorcycles and he describes them they look like alligators really fast alligators wearing black ninja alligators and then I, I, I'm probably not going to use that one on Megan. I was f***ing cracking up at that point. And then yeah. we get the situational humor as well. We get Megan walking by and David just even points to it. And she's immediately like, no. He's like, but, but they're awesome. And she's no. And then Abraham, yeah. all he has to do when he, and again, in that moment, all he has to do is look at David when he walks by. And then he looks at the bike and he realizes what David, immediately realizes what David wants. He just smiles and says, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he yeah. definitely David definitely has funny moments. Yeah, that I really enjoy. It's just the metaphors didn't land for me at all. Oh, okay. So, uh, I could. I mean, yeah, I can see. I'm not saying that. like I, I didn't enjoy the humor at all in this book because there were bits and pieces that, you know, amused me. But yeah. the two guess... major sources of comic relief, uh, that being Cody and the metaphors, mostly didn't land for me. Cody. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can kind of see it. Like, uh, like uh, for example, going to Skyward, again, no, no spoilers, no worries, but, like, her, her, her verbatim, her, like, war cries, you know? Yeah. Um, I just, I, I wasn't a big fan of those, but I can see how a lot of people would be a big fan of those. I suppose I couldn't apply that to this. I loved it so much, but I, I can see how some people would get sick of it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I loved them so much that I was actually considering asking you, Drew. I was like, you think we should have, like, instead of, like, a three favorite one of scenes or three favorite lines, maybe we just have, like, a three <laughs> favorite metaphors? Because I loved them so much. So it, it really surprises me to hear that you guys were exasperated by them. In some cases, obviously. Like you said you liked a few of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but since you mentioned the C word, you want to talk about Cody? Yeah. Get out of the way. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> you sound so excited to dive into that one. I hated it. Uh, it, it, I don't know if there's really much to say on this besides I really didn't like him. I mean, he's maybe my least favorite Sanderson character ever. Really? Like in the presence of such spectacular examples like Lift? I I will (laughs) I will say I like Lift a little more than I like Cody. Oh, okay. No, I I like Cody a little more than Lift. Like, there Lift at least has like a few redeeming qualities. Dude, we were never stuck inside Cody's head though, especially not for a whole fucking novella. And and but that's like it's. Because Could you imagine of that. having to read this book from Cody's point of view? I would have fucking burned no, it no, by now. I I wouldn't have nope. finished the book. Uh, <laughs> but but that that very perspective of getting inside Lyft's head is probably why I like her a little more because I feel like there's there's a little more understanding than you get with Cody, where he's just Cody. Cody's just there, and and he's there so blatantly for one reason, yeah. and that reason annoys the hell out of me. <laughs> so yeah. he's kind of just the creepy adult who's trying to be friends with the younger teen, and it doesn't. Yeah, that, yeah. I have to acknowledge no. that it seems like Brandon tried to give him a kind of, you know, relatable side. I mean, we got his whole backstory, his backstory about being a cop, 
and what it meant to him yeah. and how he never stopped being a cop and he still carries the badge. It's just, it, and it was it was okay. I mean, it was a it was a decent backstory, I thought, but it yeah. didn't justify all those cringy. Fucking, to uh, me, to me, I mean, Abraham's a much more enjoyable side character yes. than Cody. Sorry, say again. To me, Abraham's a much more. Enjoyable oh, I loved side Abraham. Character. And I, I want to definitely get on to Abraham next if we can, but I just want to quickly bring up the my uh, my my best and least favorite Cody moment. Best and least oh, favorite. Boy. Hold on. Well, that you know what most I'm trying to say. Most and least favorite. Yes. So and because I, I realized some people probably do like Cody, right? A lot of people probably do like Cody. Probably. So I'm going to extend the proverbial olive branch. I'll I'll tell you one thing, I I that I do like about him after this. But you're, first, I'm going to have my biggest complaint. Chapter you're a bigger 12. Bigger man than I am. So Chapter that. twelve. He at, he literally he literally asks Abraham to set him up for a joke. He says, "Yeah, Abraham, um, ask me why it's so tragic that young David's worked so hard and yada yada yada." Of course, Abraham just goes right into it. Why is it so hard? It's so tragic that it's like why would you just why why do why encourage it, right? And I don't know. This yeah. is a point I was already starting to get sick of Cody's humor. But okay, now for the proverbial olive branch i will say my favorite cody quote it was when he was they were discussing the number of problems with assassinating steelheart he goes on he's like it's got, he, he flies he's got impenetrable skin he's immune to radiation explosions like fire he's immune to everything it goes on to everything he's like a couple things come on that's like three things even though he just listed like 40 of them and then he holds up four fingers <laughs> i kind of yeah. enjoyed that one that was okay you know, he lists all this shit, and then he says, "That's I got three things," and puts the wrong number of fingers up. I had like what? It wasn't like a, a laugh. It wasn't even a chuckle. It was like a forceful <laughs> exhalation through the nostril. You know? Yeah. Like, oh. mm, all right. The opposite you know. of a nine-eighth sniff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A sniff. <laughs> it wasn't a snort. It wasn't like a, you know. But it was a. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I want to hear your thoughts on Abraham. Huh. That's what nine-eighth sniff is. Is that what nine-eighth sniff is? Cause I figured it would have like a, like an inhale. Is it just like a, like a exhalation? I, like a. I, I always thought it was like kind of, of a huff. Like a. Huh. Like it's hard for me to tell if you're inhaling or exhaling. I always like, sniff. I just like inhale. Like, like what is she trying to smell? So, anyway, sorry. I'm just going off on a tangent there. Um, sorry. You just said you wanted to bring something up, and I, it got me yeah, really wanna, excited subconsciously, and I forgot I what it is. I want to hear you talk about Abraham. I want. I want to get oh. the Canadian perspective on the Canadian character. Ah uh, man, uh, McLeod Andrews, especially listening to the audiobook, he 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 puts that. He's got this excellent French Canadian accent that he puts on Abraham. Like one of the first things we hear Abraham say, uh, like he's immediately nice to David, right? Mm -hmm. And he sticks up for 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 David right away. He's like, I don't know. I like him. He's got a certain something. <laughs> you know, un homme He's got a lot, a lot, a bunch of, of French uh, uh, phrases that he just, you know, employs in his vernacular, um, mm -hmm. and especially the way he gets offended at the at uh, the way I think it was Ricochet was the epic. And he's like, oh God, it's so sacrilegious taking this beautiful French word, turning it into something that Cody would say. Colise. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh. strikes home. I love it. I expected that, like every single scene that he that, that McLeod Andrews was was presenting abraham i felt like he had a poutine in his hand and a cigarette in his mouth <laughs> great so he rang as authentically he canadian. did ring like i sanderson must know an authentic french canadian because i work with like 13 of those dudes that are like straight up french canadian they they, they <laughs> sound exactly like that see it's it's funny like i, I want to kind of make a comparison sound. uh there's there's Not another like book uh that 
Uh, Jared and I read as part of our book group a few years back called Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge. Oh yeah. And there's like a, a Canadian character in that book, and and he felt like so not Canadian. Like it, it was. <laughs> It well, really how... felt like uh, the author of that book um, was like trying to hit his like diversity checklist and really? was just Canadians like throwing. Diverse? Well, well, but, like so, this particular character was like LGBT. Oh, okay. So like, maybe Canadian was part of the equation. Yeah, and so, but like it, gotcha. it felt like each one of these side characters in that book, he was like reaching into a hat and grabbing like two or three labels, and he's like, alright, this is this character, and then reaches in and grabs two or three more, and he's like, alright, I'm gonna make that character, and like, you know, and and it didn't feel like that with Abraham in, in this, it, it just felt like he wrote a Canadian character, you know. I'm not French, like, I'm Canadian, you sluts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he definitely rang as, as authentic, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, love, I love his personality, how it jives with being kind of the weapons guy of the group. Yeah, too. he's mm -hmm. he's the, he's he's tall. He's he's, fucked, he's jacked. He's soft spoken. He's just like, do I have a man crush on Abraham? I might actually have a man crush. On Abraham. <laughs> I don't know, but <clears throat> no, he was. Uh, Abraham was was infinitely more enjoyable than than Cody was. Oh yeah, yeah. So. Abraham's either Abraham or, or Prof is my favorite of like the kind of secondary characters. I kind of wasn't a big fan of Prof either and it's nothing in particular that he does well really? maybe it's just how much of a fucking asshole he is. But That's I'm why really I like him. cursing up a storm in this episode. I Granted there's, there's a really good reason for that but yeah. Well yeah, yeah I suppose there is yeah, but yeah. Cobb also had a good reason for that. He never cursed. <laughs> True. No. I don't know. But but then but, again, that would imply they have to be the same character. But and I will say, like when I say uh, Abraham and Prof are probably my two favorites of the secondary characters, I count Megan as a primary character in this book. I think I would be. Oh, in this book too, eh? Yeah, like like in in the whole series, but in in this book, I mean, yeah. like she's obviously not to get spoilers for the next two. Don't figure, worry. you know, like she plays a bigger role than any of the other side characters do, hmm. uh, as far as David, our point of view character, is concerned. Um, and I love Megan; uh, she is. Yeah. Without a doubt, like one of probably my three favorite Brandon Sanderson characters. Um, she's up there with like Chris and Rathan. Like I certainly love female characters. Megan. I love Megan. Really? Yeah. I mean, I didn't. I definitely. I don't dislike her. I do like Megan as well. Like, I just I, your I, favorite. I really. absolutely have a crush on Megan. <laughs> I mean, she sounds hot. Sounds hot. But I mean, like, I don't know. She felt kind of one dimensional to me. I mean. Oh really? I mean, uh, uh, to begin with, coming out of the gate, I should say she she does definitely get a very much more in depth <laughs> exploration yeah. of her character in Not books end. two and three. Don't worry, but I, I don't know. well even this one. Mm -hmm. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I'm loving how many differing opinions we have on Sanderson characters, despite the fact that we love the books so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that Megan, Prof, or David are one dimensional. Some of the, uh, like side characters kind of are, but that's to be expected with the, yeah. Like Abraham's pretty one dimensional, but he's yeah. awesome. So yeah, well he doesn't it's yeah okay. he doesn't have enough screen screen time to really justify anything deep. I mean we do get some more information about him in the future mm -hmm. about his past, but you yeah. know he, he never really takes up the center spotlight. He doesn't need to. I think yeah. the, the, these books have just enough Abraham in them. It's like a seasoning. Mm -hmm. No, no, actually <laughs> I, I want more Abraham. Actually, I would love to see <laughs> <laughs> like a novella with his backstory. It'd be awesome. Of course you do. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I, I don't know because uh, you know this is why we do these podcasts. You know, we can you know talk about characters and, and talk about these things yeah. that, despite the fact that we have such similar tastes in in the broad scale, uh, 
you know, when you when you bring it down to like individual character level and, and stuff like that, it's great having like, you know, yeah, different opinions and and different perspectives on things and, and seeing how and why we we think that way. Yeah, you know? it, it's like I mean, it's kind of how like Drew and I, you and I, like we became friends in the first place. We discovered we both liked the Wheel of Time, and then we both we discovered that we both loved heavy metal, and from there yeah. we both loved Hale, and then it just kind of ran away. Yep. But it's also great finding. <laughs> Finding people that that like the same thing you like, and also, but for different reasons. Yeah, you know, like yeah. I like Steelheart, you like Steelheart, but it sounds like we're getting vastly different enjoyment out mm-hmm. of out of it. You know. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like like you just mentioned. Part of the reason we became friends was because we we liked a lot of the same music, and and for instance, there's a a girl, you know, went to college with her, and. Uh, She's into like all the same bands as I am. You know, I every concert I go to here in Colorado, like she's there. She's single, but uh, <laughs> no, she's not. Uh, oh. But it's like she loves all the same bands as I do. But like all of her favorite songs are all of my least favorite songs. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like inverse you and I with Sanderson yeah, characters. Like, like she'll she'll go and like. For instance, you know, we saw Nightwish, you know, a Ooh, couple of years ago, Nightwish. and she My she favorite. left before the encore because she's like, ah, oh, I don't I don't really like what? Last Ride of the Day or Ghost Love Score. What? Yeah. Oh, those yeah. are my two favorites: Ghost <laughs> right? Love Score and Last Ride of the Day. <laughs> nope, unfriended. Yeah. Unfriended. <laughs> like, huh? and like, like she loves like Dear God and a Little Piece of Heaven by Avenged Sevenfold, and I'm like, I you could I mean, you could erase those songs too. from from existence. Oh, a Little Piece and... of Heaven was great. Oh, we're oh, getting no. into fucking but, but, talk like, now. But this is this is kind of like well, the same you know kind of track we're on with, with like Sanderson, you know, and and I'm how sure. there are things like you know. I'm sure a lot I, of people like Cody. Yeah, like oh. I enjoyed I enjoyed uh, Spencer's you know, war cries and, and you didn't really like those. And then you enjoy David's metaphors and I don't like them. Like, you know, true. But I will say this, like, for example, about Cody or about like stick or lift. Oh, if you yeah. like those things, I don't like you. <laughs> no, I can't say that. I can't say that. I can't say that, but I mean, there's I a good chance. A I, I probably don't like, like you. Yeah. Here come the angry Facebook comments. I get myself into so much trouble for this podcast. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, we we said it in the very first episode where we were like, do we want to talk about our least favorite Brandon Sanderson characters? And I said, no, let's not alienate our audience in the first episode. Yeah. Well, everybody, we waited 22 episodes to alienate you. Yeah, so, so buckle up, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we'll censor that one. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> but it's, before we get too far off of Abraham, I want to give him a really quick shout out. How freaking badass that was his whole the scene where they're taking up like the taking on the thugs who tried to rob them mm-hmm. he's like he challenges them to the contest it's like i tell you what's you take a shots i take a shots <laughs> and, and this is when he got shot just pones the guy and then he helps him he's like a black yeah. chef priest over here <laughs> <laughs> do you know who we are i was like oh man this guy is just such a smooth badass yeah i think i do have a man crush in abraham i think i do <laughs> so what about prof Okay, so Prof. I liked Prof, but notice I used past tense. I <laughs> liked Prof on my first few read-throughs. I didn't like him so much afterward, and I, I really can't point to a specific reason why. <clears throat> and I, this may be one, this might be the first complaint I have about an audiobook, but I don't like uh, McLeod Andrews' Prof very well. He's just, it's too gravelly, it's too... But, but when... I don't know. And then everything that comes out of Prof's mouth, of course, 
matches that. He just never has anything positive to say, this guy. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's abrasive. He's dark and he's brooding. He's constantly brooding. It's like, light the fuck up, man. I mean, I guess you can't really lighten the fuck up in in a, you know, a city that literally <laughs> lives in night for you know, perpetual forever. And when but, you know that if you use right. your powers, yeah. you're gonna join the, the this, hellscape. Oh, like, for, yeah, Jesus. So I, for, I thought you just spoiled that. I forgot that we found that out at the end of this book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, I actually I have a confession to make. I managed to listen to three quarters of the audiobook and I didn't have time. <laughs> I ran out of time to finish the rest. But I mean, like I said, I've oh. read this book over a dozen I times. I remember everything. But yeah. only three quarter, the first three quarters of it is fresh at the moment. I totally yeah, forgot no. that we found that out at the end of this book. Okay. Cool. This, is, uh, this is only my fourth time reading this. Yeah, fourth only time. Only your fourth, eh? Yeah, because I, I read it when it came out, and then I, I did, you know, the standard reread thing where I reread it before Firefight, and then reread Steelheart and Firefight before Calamity. I'm just so. making a joke about how most people don't read the same book four times. <laughs> I mean, we are oh, obviously well. exceptions, dude. You and I, oh. Besides uh, Megan's reveal and then Steelheart's weakness reveal, I didn't remember much. Yeah? Yeah. I liked I liked how it had its own like Steelheart's weakness played out. I really really enjoyed how we had that was that very clear mystery like literally from the first scene of the book, and it took so long for it to unfold and we finally got it and made sense. I will say that mystery is one of the best executed. Uh, excuse me, uh, that Brandon has done. Mm-hmm. Like you know he because he tends to have these little mysteries, <clears throat> sometimes big mysteries, at the heart of of uh, a book mm-hmm. and. And this is one of them that I thought he pulled off very, very well. Like I thought it was, uh, it was harder to figure out. Yeah, it was a little but, more abstract. But well, but well enough foreshadowed. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like like the first time I read it, I, I didn't figure it out <clears> until <throat> like the page before we, you know, David figured it out. Basically, oh, I'll be straight up and say I didn't figure it out until after we had it explained. I was like, oh, that's a yeah, little... like. A, you know, when, um, when they were, you know, at the stadium and, like, going through all these different... And he's like, what? Like, what is it? Like, we were so sure it was, you know, and, like... And, uh, and and then he has that moment of clarity. And, but it was, um, you know, it was well executed is the best way I could put it. Yep. Um, like, I compare it to Skyward, for instance. And I think it was... It hit home with a little more oomph than the mystery in Skyward, you know? Yeah. So... Yeah, I, um, it was a little like I like I said already. It was a little more abstract. I was expecting it to be something a little more concrete, like an item that was his weakness or something. You know, it turned out to be like a state of mind, which was cool. And I think I, I liked how much foreshadowing we had. Of course, we had the fact that they they managed to to steal some folders out of the uh, the facility that they went on on first, oh, yeah. David's first official Reckoner's mission, and it turned out just to be a bunch of propaganda, and actually a lot of it was mm-hmm. just made up, and they were just trying to make, for some reason, Steelheart seem worse than he was. You know, these these little moments like that, that it make more, they make more sense when you consider them later. But I, I do want to say I appreciated how Sanderson was directly dismissing a lot of really popular theories right out of the gate with this book. Yeah. And not just out of the mysteries that he solved in this book, but some mysteries that were going to get you know solved later. Um, mm-hmm. For example, David has a conversation with Cody early on where they speculate on the origin of the epics, right? Yeah. Cody suggests yeah. that they could be, you know, government, superhuman project gone wrong, you know? David considers calamity itself. He's like, it might, might be a comet caught by the Earth's gravity, you know? Uh, as he's watching the reinforcement feed, you know, where, where Steelheart's standing on top of the building and he's looking all mm-hmm. epic right before he just 
you know, kills a bunch of people for no reason. He, interna- <laughs> he David internally acknowledges that early scholars thought epics were perhaps a new step in, in human development, like an evolutionary breakthrough. I love yeah. how he, Brandon's taking all of these, he knows what you're thinking already. He's bringing it right up to the front, like, oh, see? You see this? You think this, don't you? I love how he was kind of teasing us a little bit with that. Yeah, he, he did that a lot in this book. Um, for sure. For the longest time, I definitely thought it was crossfire slash a bullet that wasn't intended yeah, I, I was there with you. <clears throat> yeah, was, I, I figured it was going to be gonna... like non-intentional. But then I knew once they were going to try it that it wouldn't be the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was actually going along with Cody. I thought it was going to be like a government superhuman project gone wrong and Prof was in there somehow. But uh, yeah, well, we're not yeah. going to discuss, obviously, true, true the spoilers actual, until Calamity. Yeah, origin of that. But yeah. Uh, um, yeah. um I would just say, to finish up on Prof, I really liked the concept of him fighting to forgot, not yeah, be an epic, that. almost. I do like that. To not that use it, his powers. Yeah. That and in that sense, cool. I really appreciated his dark, brooding moments. Yeah. I do, yes. And I. And we'll talk yeah. more about Prof I agree. At, you know, at the end of Firefight. Yeah. yeah. yeah when we, when more we in Firefight, more week. in Calamity. Uh, <laughs> um. Where else is I going? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, I don't have a whole lot more to talk about um, character-wise. I do want to kind of circle back to Megan briefly. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, and and specifically, the scene like in the elevator shaft, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, that that was a like one of my favorite bits of foreshadowing in this book. It was that was like the most blatant. Example the look in her eyes as she's like, reaching for her gun. Is that what you're talking about? Well, well, no. Like that was the most blatant example of that was there for us to figure out that she is an epic and she's she uses illusions, you know. And uh, uh, but at the same time, because it was like it was such a good character moment between David and Megan, and then when she uses her powers and she turns all like you know yeah. cold and like you know and and that. That dynamic is one of my favorite things with Megan and David and their relationship. It, it's her, like, struggle with herself, you know? Like, and and in that scene, that or was is the it first... Herself? Well. <laughs> Philosophy, herself. speculation, ooh. For, for, for right now, we're saying that it's a struggle with herself. <laughs> um, and it really, I mean, it really is. It's a struggle with herself. Ultimately. There, but there's, there's yep. more to it than just that. But uh, but it, it was just like a really, really cool moment. And that was the first time I read this book. That was the scene that kind of cemented my enjoyment of her character. Where I was like, okay, yeah, like I'm, I'm in. Like she's intriguing. She's fun to read because she's... Like she's not your normal kind of like love interest in a YA book. It, I don't know. Like she was it's, just enjoyable wow. to read. <clears throat> you know, I think I think I just found the point where you and I diverged, and not, I guess that implies that I don't like Megan. No, I still do like Megan, but for me, that was the moment where I, that I went, okay, so, wow, this this chick is crazy. Like she's just on and then she's off, then she's on and then she's off. I I, I guess I wasn't yeah, I really lost trust of her looking, in that scene. <laughs> I wasn't looking too hard at that moment. I wasn't realizing there was a bigger picture happening. Um, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't experienced with Sanderson enough to start looking for the clues. In that moment, I was just. I mean, I was just in David's head. I was like, Oh, what? You were just getting along. What's wrong with you? Why? Why all of a sudden this? I didn't understand it. I mean, going back now, obviously hindsight's always twenty twenty. But you know, 
I don't know. Like that that's one of the points where that started to make me doubt Megan, I guess. And mm-hmm. by the way, speaking of Megan, and oh shit, hold on. Before we continue with that, there's one question while we're still on this scene actually that mm-hmm. I want to get an answer from you, Drew, and from you, Jared. Jared, you've read Firefight and Calamity? Yes. Okay. Now, we're not going to spoil those books, but I just want to know if you think we get an answer for this eventually, because I didn't never saw an answer for this ever, or that I picked up on. What the hell were the guards talking about when they looked down? One was looking down, and he doesn't, he's like, I hear something. I thought I heard something. It's still there. Didn't and they David's have the got tensors? the tensor, the vibrating, right? But then the, one, the second guard goes, it's coming from, you know... And the first one goes, oh, right. And they stop and they turn away. What the hell was that guy talking about? It's coming from, oh. you know. Oh, what the man. hell else would be down there making that noise? I recall what you're talking about, but I have no idea. Yeah, I that, don't, that I don't never, think I have an answer for you. That, that never struck you as odd? That's from the first time I was like, <gasps> clue. And then we never got just, an answer to that ever. I just ever. assumed like some And here I am, project, six years yeah. later, and I still don't understand what the hell that was. We never hmm. got an answer for that, did we? Like, again, uh, good like, I want to make it clear for anybody who hasn't read yeah. Firefighter Calamity, we're not spoiling anything, don't worry. But I just... What the fuck? Oh, God, I gotta stop cursing. Why am I suddenly... I think it's the stout doing it to me, man. Yeah, yeah, you've been... Uh, I've been, like, cursing been like a storm. Like this, this is a, a YA a novel. That is, yeah. Exactly. God. I mean, we gotta give Pat something to do, so... <laughs> yeah, we we're, we gotta pay our sound guy for something. Yeah, really. Oh, oh, but I, we still wanted to talk about Megan. Okay, I wanted to get your your impression on this too. Did you, for even one minute, think that Megan was truly dead when she no, got no. To, to the bike accident? You, you didn't buy it for a second, right? No, I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't know that it was going to be the same like reasoning for why. But I, I was expecting there to be some caveat, some yeah. you know, loophole that. Yeah. I mean, she's getting through that, and of course, David picks her up and starts running with her. She's got a pulse. I'm like, oh, okay, so she's probably going to live, you know? She's got a pulse. They're going to save her. Prof's there. And, you know, it keeps getting weaker, and I'm just like, she's, she's still got it. And then, of course, David has that moment where he's standing over her body, and he's fighting the enforcement officers, and he's confessing all of these things in such a perfect, <laughs> sentimental, heartwarming way. And I'm just like, oh, okay. No, she's definitely not going to die. There's no way she can't hear what he's saying right now. Yeah. But then yeah. again, she's unconscious, so maybe she's going to have to hear a recording of it somehow. Oh, he's still wearing the headset. Tia's probably still listening. She's probably recording everything that's happening. Megan's going to live through this. Tia's going to show her that footage. <laughs> Boom! David's in. But figuratively, not metaphor, uh, not then... literally. This is a YA novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, well... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and then she dies. Yep. They can't save her, and they burn the hideout. And I was like, whoa, whoa. whoa. I guess maybe Sanderson figured he was getting a little predictable with that, so he killed her. And then, of course, we see an Invict—I almost said Victory Stadium. Look at me going back into into Kane mode. Ever since you mentioned (laughs) Kane, going into the stadium there, we see Megan. We start to see glimpses of her, and I was like, "Oh, okay, no, all right, it's going to happen." And then, near by the time you get to the end, David's—he hears his own voice talking on a radio. He hears the words, and you—and right away you recognize what the words are. And I'm like, "Oh, okay. Like you, I already know what it is. I don't know. I guess maybe that revelation could have come a little sooner." I honestly guessed it when they burnt their hideout. Like, I didn't, yeah, like, no part of me believed for a second that she was actually going to die until she did die. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, what's that about firefight? What? No, I was just saying that I guessed it that she wasn't dead when they burnt their lair that she was firefight. Oh, that's right. We got that in this book, too. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
I keep thinking that these are firefight spoilers you're giving out. No. No. <laughs> no. Okay. God damn it. Wow, we really gotta go do those decks, those book two and three before <laughs> I fucking give myself a the heart attack. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I don't have a whole lot more to, to talk about for this book. I mean, do we want to mm -hmm. kind of just get some, some last thoughts in before we do the final draft? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, sure. I liked the classification of the epics. I kind of thought that was cool. I mean, CA risked, I think Brandon risked sounding a little formulaic there, but I, th I still think it worked out just fine, especially considering, you know, David has his own classification, Tia has her own classification. Um, but I all, I like, for example, classifying Fault Line as a tier one epic, cool. Well, without immortality benefit, cool. But it, I, I loved really how it, it wasn't truly, she wasn't truly an earthquake epic. You know, she just had a couple of smaller abilities that combined to make what seemed like a much larger one. I kind of thought that was a really cool thing mm -hmm. that I hadn't really considered as a possibility before. And the quote is here, There were true earthquake-creating epics, but they were ironically less powerful, or at least less powerful. The stronger ones could destroy a city with their powers, but couldn't bury a single building or group of people at will. Plate tectonics just worked on too massive a scale to allow for precision. I just mm -hmm. love that little, I guess, a little nugget of world building in there. It was, it was pretty cool. It made it, it gave it a lot more, uh, I don't know, texture for me. Sure. Yeah. I uh, appreciated the twist with Conflux. How he's so powerful. Mm. He's so fragile. He's mm -hmm. he's a nice man. You know, we get our, our first little ray of hope that maybe not all epics are. They have to be bad. You know. Yep. Yep. Um, Wait. So I had a question on that, really quick. Yeah, go ahead. Go for it, dude. So, does Conflux not get angry when he uses his powers then? Uh, I I can answer that, but I think is it that, might involve spoilers. Is that a yeah, later, I a think later that thing? involves uh, um, some info from later books. I can't which remember, I can honestly. Shoot your way after we're done the podcast. Just remember to ask that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, there, carry on. Um, the... Uh, I also want to say I, this book had I mean Sanderson I think for me one of his trademark things that he does with his books is he has these what I call and again we're going to censor these oh shit moments where something happens and you literally just have no other reaction besides oh shit right <laughs> and in this book we had a couple of really big ones but my favorite one I think might be my favorite Sanderson oh shit moment of all time and that was when they're on the highway about to hit conflux and David realizes it's a trap. And mm -hmm. then suddenly, Night Wielder rising through the, like, through the roof to glory, his fingers yeah. spreading tendrils of night. I was like, oh, shit! It was such a cool moment. It was, I, I, uh. <laughs> the only other one I could think of would be, or there's two more in Stormlight 2 that I can think of could, ri could rival that moment. Ooh, one of okay. which has a recording for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. think that video disappeared from YouTube. I went what? looking for it the other oh, day. Oh, it's unlisted. It. I'll be able to give you the link for it. If not, I still have it on my computer. I found it the other yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> Maybe make that a Patreon exclusive, that one. Oh, heck yeah. No, we totally should. We totally should. It is... You, you get Rob's reaction to a specific for, for scene For anybody at the end who's of... read Stormlight, it's, it's a particular scene at the very end of Words of Radiance. And I, I read the book before Rob... And uh, and I, I told him when you get to a certain a certain point of view in this chapter, you need to turn on your webcam and start recording yourself reading this. And, and uh, I did. And and man, was it good! It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually believe oh. it or not, I injured myself in that video when I slapped my hands on my on my head like this. I actually <laughs> cracked my neck in that moment, and it was hurt sore for like three weeks after that. Bit of inside info. 
but yeah. Um, but, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Back to Steelheart. Um, kind of my my last thoughts are that you know th- this is this is a really fun book. I think this was kind of uh, around the time when uh, Brandon started smoothing out his pacing issues. Um, this was one of the first books that I felt you know had a had a much smoother um, plot progression. Uh, it, it, moved at a steady click and it it still has you know that the typical sanderson avalanche that you're going to get in the climax but it didn't plod through the first like 40 50 percent of it the way some of his earlier books did and like it, it really was this kind of like delineation around 2013 with like steelheart and alloy of law where i feel like brandon started putting the pieces together and and working out yep. his pacing issues and and so that's that's one reason that I do enjoy this book. Hmm. Yeah, I have just have a couple of miscellaneous moments that I want to give shout-outs to that I loved so much. Um, there was one, and this is a simile. I'm going to go back and I want to quote a simile. I just loved it so much because it, it, and it shows, I think, Brandon's talent with, with knowing the rules of language and then specifically breaking them mm-hmm. in, in a comedic way. And this one I'm bringing up here was in Chapter 13. It's in the it's in the first minute of chapter thirteen, and he David says Megan's eyes could have drilled holes through well, well anything I guess I mean eyes can't normally drill holes through things so the metaphor works regardless right Megan's <laughs> eyes could have drilled holes through butter and well, as soon as he said <laughs> butter I, I fuck I dude the first time I read that I remember where I was I was laying in bed with my e reader in front of me I laughed myself to tears I was squeaking like a and seal and, and clapping my hands because I was laughing so hard at how I was like, well, it, it could have, I guess eyes can't drill holes through anything, so you could have said anything, could have picked yeah. diamond, could have picked fucking adamantium, goes for butter, it's the, the softest fucking, like, oh man, I don't know, it just, the way he set that up and then and then completely flipped it on its head, it just, it, it worked yeah. so well for me, I, I loved it, I loved that one. Um, and there was another moment, this is not a, a particularly funny moment. But it was, again, I want to draw it back to the scene that we just discussed with Night Wielder, that big oh shit moment. I, there was something I didn't notice about that scene until this read-through. And I want to stop to appreciate the fact that it took me about 15 to 20 reads to actually get there before I realized it. That scene was literally kicked off. There was one thing in particular, one little change, one little moment that kicked off that scene. And it was the, the light turning green at the intersection. I loved that little bit of just mm. that little mm-hmm. bit of flair you added there. And for anybody who, and this is not going to, well, I guess if you've seen the movie, I'm not going to spoil the movie. There's a moment in Spider-Man Homecoming where something very similar happens with a green light shining on a character's face right when they have a moment of realization. And you don't mm. notice it until you go through and look at it. It's like, <gasps> you know, it's, uh, I, it's, yeah, it's like a it's, really nice little touch. There's a, there's a word for it. God damn it. When the, when the environment matches a, a, moment of it doesn't matter well I'll, I'll figure it out later um but i really appreciated it okay yeah uh, and just yeah yeah i'd Go say generally i really enjoyed it kind of like i mentioned at the beginning it is a feat to get me to enjoy a ya like i did so he did a very good job with the genre and his intended audience i think um as for the writing goes i really liked his use of setting in the book i liked the dark chicago kind of all covered in metal it's a lot of it has the characteristic brandon highly visual scenes 
Yeah. yeah. You know, Rob, uh, you mentioned earlier the uh, when Night Wilder rises out of the car. That's one that comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The like, um, there's... and like staging the climax in the in the football stadium. Yeah, um, the lights, the like limelights. Yeah, yeah. Like I thought, uh, like he does a really good job of making the setting something relatable, like Chicago and Soldier Field, but still giving it a fantastic. Yeah, although you know the usual world building. Mm-hmm. I will say I cringed and I still cringe every time I hear the word New Cargo. Yeah, I'm I was on like, that one a little. that's not. There's so many better names you could have come up <laughs> huh. with for that one. I never I even I thought of that. Jazzed yeah. by that one. Yeah, but, I, I'm, I'm with you there, and and I will also, I'll, I'll leave one last thought, and that's like, the, the cursing just doesn't do it for me. The cursing. What do you mean? The like in world slants. Oh, and sparks. Oh, sparks. And like, it, that, I like it sparks. Do it I didn't. Me. I don't really like slants too much. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it, it tends Ooh. to, you know, Sanderson tends tends to work in curses that still kind of match the setting. It's, you know, in yeah. in Mistborn. Oh wait, hold on. Is there a cursing in Mistborn? Rust and ruin. Rust and ruin. Thank you very much. Yeah. You know, like the, the, should the, the cursing in this just be fun. normal? Like yeah. in yeah. in in Warbreaker, it's colors. You know. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I don't know. Like storming, like like it, it, storming. it varies Thank you. from, from series to series and books to book of like how effective I find his, uh, you know, proprietary cursing, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. And and this is one of them that I I think falls on the lower end of that spectrum. Yeah. So. And yeah, uh, overall, I'd give it three out of five stars, and three out of five is is good for me. It's an enjoyable book. Damn. You see. Yeah. As a as somebody who went to school wanting to be uh, you know a filmmaker someday, I really think of a lot of these the, these books you know in cinematic ways, and I want to say that that Stormlight, the Stormlight, the Jesus Christ, I can't just get any names right today. Steelheart, I think, would be would stand the greatest chance at being a justifiable big budget Hollywood action mm. movie in terms well, of its kind of like... pacing, in terms of its length, in terms of the setting. Uh, if you if you could throw a big budget at this kind of thing, I mean, in, in terms of, of the, like I said before, the elevator pitch, you could you could describe the entire premise of this book in forty five seconds or less and hook somebody with it. Yeah. I honestly think, and there's so many, of course, <laughs> thinking ahead, I extrapolate from that. There's so many p- potential moments for awesome. It's just the cinematography, like the slow mo moments, for example, Night Wielder coming out of the roof, like Jared just said, spinning his arms wide in the darkness. Awesome. The helicopter crashing on the highway. Yeah. Megan f- gets right underneath yeah. it. It gouges like a little scratch in the roof as they just eke past it excellent you know david and megan like hanging suspended in midair on the motorcycle as david vaporizes the helicopter with a gauss cannon again there's Mm -hmm. so many moments of just awesome in this book and it for a book i mean this this size i mean it's just there's so much to happen in there that Oh, I just I can't I gotta stop glowing about this book people are gonna not take my opinion seriously i've always (laughs) thought of it as uh Heroes, the TV show, actually done well. Yeah, I've heard, I've, yeah. I, I've heard me- much of the same about that TV show that yeah, it needs yeah. to be desired, but the premise is really cool. Um, but well, so it's funny you brought up like the the uh, movie aspect of it, Rob, and, and how you talked about like the pacing and the size of the book, and and that ties back to what I was talking about with Alloy of Law and Steelheart coming out, you know, within months of each other. And Alloy and of how... Law came out in 2011. Steelheart was 2013, dude. Wasn't Alloy of Law 2013? No, Alley of no, no, Alley of Law is twenty eleven. Really? It was the year after St- uh, Starlight wow. One. Wow, I'm uh. <laughs> All right, but but anyway, like it, it, they were they were like in that same like uh, post Way of Kings 
mm. but like pre we're coming off of like a stormlight high yeah yeah like like they were they were in that gap um which is probably why i'm like putting them right next to each other but mm. but anyway alloy of law is like the other book along with steelheart because i will agree with you on that the the like movie ability of steelheart yeah. is is very very high and alloy of law is the other one where it you can write it off as like a self-contained story. You don't yep. need to make a big movie series out of it. It's short. It's fast. It's got tons of these, again, you know, moments of just awesome. That uh, you know, they, I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there are a few like fight scenes and stuff, and and like it could just be really well adapted to the screen. Yeah. And and I and I, I think it's kind of funny that they were like. You know, they came out relatively close. Yeah, they did to in, each in other, and, career, and they yeah. they both fit that sort of um, that sort of niche among Brandon's larger canon of books. So. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. Shall we? Uh, shall we call that a wrap then and move into the final draft? Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, I'll, I'll start us off. I mean, <laughs> I messaged you guys twenty minutes before the podcast and said, "Oh crap, I forgot to get a beer for the podcast. I'm running to the grocery store." So. I was trying to find something thematically appropriate. Really couldn't find anything appropriate. I went for something that I just, just made me giggle when I saw the name. This is from Nickelbrook Brewing Company. I believe this is based near Toronto. I just saw the side of the... Uh, Burlington, Ontario. There we go. Okay. This here is a stout called Cheeky Bastard. <laughs> nice. You see, you see a little bit of artwork. Yeah, there. yeah. What kind of stout? I am, it's... Uh, how do I tell? <laughs> I mean, does it does it say like, like does it uh, qualify? Tr- uh, it's, stout? A, it's our twist on a traditional British stout. Oh, okay. Right. Rich roasted nice. body with a smooth, sweet finish, low in ABV but high in deliciousness. I saw it was low in ABV and I was like, ah. But you know, yeah, you, you can't win with everything. But I mean, I'm not normally a big stout fan. I I'll, I'll be honest. I actually didn't realize it was a stout until I was at the checkout, and I was like, ah, <laughs> in my head a little bit. That was not bad. <laughs> I don't know what nice. it was. There was like a, a sort of lightness to it that I wasn't expecting. It wasn't as bitter as I was normally prepared for with a stout. But, um, yeah. yeah, I would recommend it. I mean, if I'm going to drink a stout from now on, I'll probably <laughs> steer for that one. Nickelbrook Cheeky Bastard Stout. That's what that one was. Nice. Jared, what do you got today? Yeah, so mine I picked out thematically based on the brewery rather than the individual beer. Ah. This is from... Epic Brewing, and it is a Mexican-style lager, Los Locos. Los Locos. And what's the brewery? Is that the brewing company? The brewing company is Epic. Epic Brewing. Oh, it's Epic Brewing? Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I'll give you that one. (laughs) Yep. That was a good one. Nice. That was a a good choice. What'd you think of it? it, Very tasty. Yeah? It's summery, you know. Mexican lager, like... Yeah, yeah. Think of like Pacifico or mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, Corona, like that kind of a style. Oh, uh, um, what's the other one? So the red red can starts with a T. Uh, oh, yeah, Tecate, yeah, yeah. Um, tecate. Yeah, no. So I brought a uh, a pale ale from Ursula Brewing Company in Aurora, Colorado, and it is called Via Chicago. Via Chicago. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, it's and and again, like uh, I'm not usually a huge pale ale fan. Like, uh, I mean, like I can enjoy a, a pale ale or, or an IPA every once in a while, but I don't really go out of my way sure. to, to drink them. Uh, but this is this is actually really good. This is one of my 
you know, one of the better pale ales that I've had in, in you know, the last last year or so. Um, yeah, they got uh, four kinds of hops in it, so it's, it's pretty uh, pretty bursting with uh, that, that kind of pininess that you would expect. Um, little little bit of like bright fruity stuff because there are, there are citra hops in it, but oh, okay. uh, uh, but yeah, no, it's 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 pretty tasty. I do not know what the ABV is on this though. I, I was looking and, and you would think they'd be legally required to print that somewhere. Oh no, you yeah. just you just drink a few and then you do some math. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how do you feel? <laughs> oh man, no, uh, I mean, it's a it's a tall boy. It's a sixteen ounce can. It's not like ounces. I forget you, you know, guys measure that stuff in ounces all the time down there. In the you know, I don't. I don't Imperial. feel. I don't feel a whole lot after drinking this. So it's probably not like a you know a big robust like nine percent. It's not. Or it's not like, like these that. previous beers that you've brought on the fucking show where you had to chew the fucking things to get them. Down. <laughs> Wait. So you do? Do you measure everything in milliliters? Milliliters. Then? This can yeah. right here is ah, four hundred seventy-three milliliters. <laughs> that means nothing to me. I know that sounds ridiculous <laughs> to you guys. 473 sounds dumb as hell, doesn't it? So why not it's do 475? Yeah, it's, uh, it's probably because it's it's probably like a 16-ounce can, and yeah, we have yeah. to fucking do the quick maths around that shit. That's why. <laughs> Cheeky yeah. bastards. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's a, a wrap for mm-hmm. episode 22 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. 22 episodes so far, Dang. plus yeah, bonus so content. Next up, we will be doing Firefight, and uh, yeah, boy, like, like uh, Steelheart, we'll be doing the whole book for that one. One of episode. Drew's favorite books by Sanderson. Oh yeah, I'm I'm really excited for that one. You know, I'm not a huge Firefight fan. Definitely not what? as big of a Calamity Ooh. fan. Firefight's Ooh. good, definitely good. I for me, Steelheart is just it can't be it. I mean, obviously, yeah. there's Words of Radiance, Oathbringer, like that, that whoop its ass. But Steelheart for me in this trilogy is is hands down, hands <laughs> down, the best one. Well, that should be a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good conversation next week. Then, yeah, it will be. And if you want early access to that conversation, um, check out our Patreon. We have a couple yes. of pretty fun tiers, and uh, you, one of them you can get early access to episodes. Uh, another one you can get um, access to bonus short story episodes. And we will be covering Mitosis, the Reckoner short story, for one of those uh, in June. So uh, take a look at that, and you know, like we're we're not doing this because we're trying to you know, make money and you know replace our day jobs. We're we just want to be able to pay our sound engineer, pay our artist, and uh, and pay for the hosting, so yeah. that we can continue reading awesome books, drinking good beers, and hopefully giving you guys a little bit of entertainment. So yeah, uh, let's pay Pat, let's pay Danny. They do so much for us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, uh, Pat. Yeah. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, Thanks Danny. Danny. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, as usual, I am uh, your host, Drew McCaffrey, with me, my co-host, Rob Santos. Yo. And our very special guest, Jared Livingston. Thanks for coming on, Jared. Thanks, everyone. Thanks again, Jared. We'll catch you next week. See you next week. Bye, everyone. <laughs>